Do you smell what Vincent Shen is cooking on this consumer goods edition of Industry Focus? Greetings, fools. I am Sean the Crushinator O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, December 15th, 2015, and joining me to talk uh, consumer goods is the one and only Vincent Shen. What's up, man? Crushinator. I like that. Yeah. I Do you want to be The Rock or something? I don't know. No, I can't take a name that's already out there. I didn't watch wrestling growing up, so I don't... I'm, this is like the base of my knowledge. You are forgiven barely. Um, so... Just to give our listeners an outline, we're going to talk the Newell Rubbermaid Jordan merger buyout, actually, I should say. Uh, we're going to talk about wrestling, because they're about to roll out their Netflixy type service in Japan. It's actually a big deal. It's, I'm, I'm very impressed with what this company's doing. Uh, but first, apparently, the ladies, Gabby, over in the Financials podcast, started a little bit of a, uh, a stir, a trend. Uh, giving book recommendations. Did you hear about this? Uh, I did. I heard a little bit about it. They got like a ton of emails about like book recommendations for investing. It sounds like some of our listeners want to hear about our investing financial book recommendations. So what do you have, Sean? Um, so this is a consumer goods show. I actually have a really good book picked out for the tech show on Friday. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but uh, really, not only was it an entertaining book, but a book that really drives home the power of owning a Slevy of amazing consumer brands was the 80s book, Barbarians at the Gate, about ah, yes. the leveraged buyout of RJR Nabisco. Mm-hmm. Um, hugely entertaining. These guys are just throwing around billions of dollars trying to buy this thing. The price, I think, go, it get, winds up getting doubled because originally, and I'm sorry, because the CEO of RJR Nabisco originally started the whole thing and his name escapes me. But um, he proposes a leveraged buyout in the 80s of the company he captains, and this just onslaught of LBO buyout artists just start bidding up the company. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually think they wound up having to restructure in the early 90s. I know that uh, Warren Buffett, your friend and mine, actually owned some bonds in them, and he made a bunch of money on it and everything. But they <laughs> leveraged it up so much that even tobacco and oreos couldn't pay off all this debt but such a cool company um cool story so highly recommend head on over to amazon.com you can probably get it i don't know used for five or ten bucks and if that, uh, if that. yeah so or what is it like some books are like a penny it's an absolute <laughs> classic um you probably had to read it it's on UBA. my short list yeah. um and you know every person i've ever spoken to said it's just a really interesting look into a period that you know some people kind of considered like the wild west in terms of all the buyout action and things right. like, along those lines on wall street and it's just a really uh, interesting inside look into that world we should do a book club um all right so moving on uh big news this week Newell rubbermaid offered to buy jarden for 15 billion dollars yep correct about me if i'm wrong correct you know, 15 followed by nine zeros um, real quick, just for our listeners that may or may not be aware of these two brands, um, can you provide us one with a history of the company and just kind of br- paint a brief picture of their recent performance? Yeah, so you know we've had some pretty uh, acquisitive shows recently. You know we had talked about the Keurig deal recently. You know what I think? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. I think the Federal Reserve is about to increase interest rates a little bit. So everybody's like, "Oh crap, that's about to go up. We need to buy stuff." Yeah, it's probably <laughs> that's an ongoing trend too. You know, this has theory. been a really big year overall for M and A deals, um, and. I guess, you know, as a result, we've had the opportunity to talk about some of these really, really nice size uh, buyouts, for mergers sure. like this one. So this most recent one, uh, as you mentioned, is between 
Newell Rubbermaid and Jardin. So to give you a little bit of history, because I think it's very uh, interesting how these companies have approached uh, and, and kind of grown into the businesses that they are today. So Martin Franklin, uh, you know, founder of Jardin, he pretty young company in, in that he founded in 2001. Uh, he served as a CEO for about a decade and in that time amassed a pretty formidable portfolio of a consumer brand. So some of the ones that I saw when I was looking through the list that really stood out to me are classics like Bicycle, the playing cards, right? Oh my gosh, they own Bicycle. Yan- yeah. Yankee Candle, uh, Coleman Outdoors Products, Marmot Outdoors Products. And just to give you an idea of how... Uh, Acquisitive this company has been. Just in October, Jordan announced that they would be acquiring Justin's for $1.5 billion. Justin's being uh, the provider of like class rings uh, and yearbooks for schools. Take me back to high school, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> and now, uh, you know, Franklin has taken this company, and, which and its umbrella includes over 120 brands. So. Did you know it was this big? I, My eyebrows are popping here. Like, I had no idea, and but when I was looking through all these logos and the yeah. brands in their uh, in their website, I was really surprised. Like, wow, I recognize quite a few of these. I did not know it was all under this umbrella. Uh, so is this Franklin just cashing out? Well, I will get to that. Okay. And he's cashing out quite nicely, actually. <laughs> so Newell Rubbermaid uh, has a bit of a longer history. It started in 1903 in New York when Edgar Newell purchased a company that was in default and renamed it. So... Uh, they started. He obviously started building out that business, but it was in 1965 or so where the co- company kind of began its own run of acquisitions. And you know, they tout that they've done over 70 of those over the past 30 years as they were seeking growth for the company. Uh, so some of the big names in that portfolio include Lennox, Sharpie, Parker, uh, Calphalon. In 1999, they purchased Rubbermaid for about six billion dollars, uh, hence the name now. And Again, like Jardin, very recently, Newell Rubbermaid had recently acquired Elmer's for $600 million, and that was in October. Taking me back to second grade. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a hu- a really big household names uh, that they have in their portfolio. Definitely not just a plastic container company. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. So, beyond you know what Rubbermaid's known for. So, in terms of uh, the performance of these companies, their stocks recently, uh, they've done very well. Both of them have done very well since the financial crisis. Uh, Jarn's up nearly 300% over the past five years. Uh, during that same period, top and bottom, line, bottom lines have grown at about a 10% caker. So, nice, wow. healthy growth. And Newell Rubbermaid itself has had a bit choppier results, but it's also up 140%. These are easily surpassing the broad market in the S&P 500. So uh, you and I are in Alexandria, Virginia, not working at the intersection of Broad and Wall, and you know we're not super in the know, but we're we're pretty on the up and up. And this kind of came out of nowhere. Was there a run up to the deal that maybe we missed? Were they talking for a while? Sure, there were some rumors, and it's actually kind of interesting uh, how you know the whole the whole thing came about. I, th- I think it was Franklin who said. Uh, so the founder of Jarden, who, who mentioned that he was introduced, I think by a banker or somebody at an investing conference to uh, the CEO, I believe, of uh, New Rubbermaid, and that's kind of when it started. It was back. It was as recently as September. Wait, they're all having drinks, and it's like, hey, you should buy him. Like- well, they started. They, <laughs> they were introduced to each other. I think it was as recently as September, and. Uh, those talks must have developed very quickly, and the rumors for this deal actually came. They actually were reported, I think, by the Wall Street Journal uh, about a week ago. So, on these initial reports, uh, 
that this potential merger was happening, Newell Rubbermaid shares traded up about 7.4%. Jardin shares similarly gained about 3.7%. And then obviously, uh, yesterday, the deal was officially announced by the two companies. Uh, value Total equity value is about $13 billion. Other key terms are, um, in terms of the, uh, the payment, each Jardin shareholder will receive .862 Newell Rubbermaid shares and $21 cash for each Jardin share they own. Uh, new at the uh, Once the deal closes, Newell Rubbermaid will own approximately 55% of the combined company. The new entity is actually going to be called Newell Brands, nice oh, and wow. simple. Yeah. And it will be led by the current Newell Rubbermaid CEO, Michael Polk, who I now mentioned was, the, I believe, the guy who was introduced to Franklin not too long ago, and they kind of right. came together on this. Is, uh is Mr. Franklin sticking around in any capacity? So he will be joining the board of directors, and because um, he's getting a lot of shares, I he's at, he's he currently is no longer CEO at Jardin, but he's still involved, um, and he'll be joining the board of directors along with two other Jardin uh, current executives who will also be joining the new board of directors. So uh, you know, Newell Brands they mentioned in the press release that they want to leverage. You know the new large size, the new scale that they have once they're combined uh, to increase their presence with retailers, increase their presence agra- across geographic markets, improve their distribution, their cross-selling, their marketing capabilities. I see a lot of those possibilities there with some some of the, like the complementary brands, product offerings that they have. So they also touted about five hundred million dollars in cost synergies expected to be realized over the next four years, um, and if. The, all of those synergies come to fruition. This new company, Newell Brands, will enjoy about $3 billion in annual adjusted EBITDA. Large, very large. Wow. $16 billion in revenue. You know, big, big name in the consumer product space for sure. Um, so, talking a little bit also about the deal value and the premium, like, you know, kind of how well Jardin shares are coming out, or Jardin shareholders are coming out of this. Um, you know, obviously, both because of the rumors came out about a week in advance, the stocks have been a little volatile since then. Um, but basing the buyout price on the most recent closing price, so for yesterday, Jardin shareholders are getting about 57.33 per share value. Um, and that's about a 90% premium to where they were trying trading pre buyout rumors so about you know a yeah. little over a week ago and then if you look based solely on their you know pre rumor levels Jardin shareholders are getting about 59.64 per share about a 23% premium um, Jardin was actually also trading at just over 15 times forward earnings with analysts forecasting about 10% earnings growth over the next 5 years so you know a 23 23- Almost twenty five percent premium on that's not too bad for a company, uh, you know, showing that has logged ten percent growth, you know, over the past five years and is expected to continue that rate. And um, obviously, you know, like I mentioned, that some of the complementary offerings, you know, they have a ton of brands that will work with each other and that they'll be able to cross sell in the kitchen for baby products, outdoor products, and um, going back to what and you know rounding this out on that fran- discussion with about uh, Michael Franklin and his payout so the Wall Street Journal reported that he's expected to gain as much as 500 million dollars from this deal now it's that includes yeah that includes a significant portion from obviously his ownership in Jardin and you know what he's getting as a result with the ca- cash and stock combination there's also some interesting uh Details from you know, like basically from his existing employment contract. There's some clause that says if it's not renewed within like two years or something along those lines, he also gets another hundred thirty million dollars in stock, uh, and cash and other benefits. Wow. Uh, on top of that, uh, 
you know, the uh, the journal also reported something about how he has the option to purchase the company planes at what their like at their uh, financial statement price is so it's you know you can depreciate that as an asset so after just a few years its value gets appreciated very quickly so he might be able to get those for like pennies on the dollar uh, compared to what their actual market value is so that's just another interesting tidbit for uh, how the founder of Jardin's kind of cashing out here but overall you know he it sounds like a fair deal he's done an incredible job yeah you know, this company just since 2001 has done an amazing job building up uh, its business it's it's revenue I think for this year will actually sur- is actually surpassed is that of new Rubbermaid, but Rubbermaid has the biggest, bigger market capitalization, so it can kind of be seen as the as the as the buyer. But mm-hmm. overall, I'd consider this, you know, pretty more of a merger of equals than anything else. Cool. Well, before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There, you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool's Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. A loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, so moving on, Vince, you're taking me back to middle school here with this one. Uh, we're talking WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. Yes. Uh, so this, I just wanted to give a quick update here just because I think this company has uh, gone through a bit of upheaval, implementing like major changes to their business strategy, but it's kind of- It seems to be working. It's working for them I mean, now. Stop me, yeah. It's, uh, you know, their prospects have, are getting a lot better after their stock tanked, absolutely tanked last year. So just a quick update. So the company recently announced that they will be launching uh, their WWE Network streaming service in January in Japan. Uh, the price will be nine ninety nine per month. They will still be offering the first first month of service free, no strings attached. You can cancel any time, no long term commitments. So this is just like what they're currently offering in the North American market, for example. Um, and you know this is a really important part of the company's long term strategy because the network has increased to about one point three million subscribers as of the third quarter. So that's up a very impressive eighty percent about from the same period last year. Ten bucks a month. That's a chunk of change, exactly, and um, you know, paying subscribers because uh, you know they offer that first month free. Paying subscribers are also are still up an impressive sixty two percent year over year. Um, so through the first nine months of two thousand fifteen, though, you know, looking at Japan in terms of international markets, those those first nine months of two thousand fifteen, international revenue is up forty three percent to one hundred nineteen million. So now it makes up about a quarter of the top line, and this is going to be. I feel like this is just uh, you know kind of the beginning. So for full year 2014, the Asia Pacific region was already the second largest market outside of North America. They've actually been. I did a little digging. Um, they've been doing stuff in Japan since like the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. So they're there. You so know? I, I I'm not sure if uh, if it has to do with the culture. You know, obviously sumo wrestling in that market is popular. So maybe this is part of the reason. But overall, you know, Japan is generally seen as a very lucrative, popular. Uh, Wrestling is very popular there, so this is a strong market for them. And this is in addition, keep in mind, to the fact that you know they also launched in the Indian subcontinent recently, and they're all will 
be launching in Germany uh, and p- p- targeting China, Thailand, the Philippines. So again, you know that Asia yeah. market being you know just slightly the largest, though I have a feeling that it's going to be growing as a piece of their overall top line. Uh, from what I read, apparently they have at the very least some kind of online presence in about fifty countries. Mm-hmm. So they're, I mean. I was consistently surprised as I read more and more about what's going on with wrestling right now. Um, they they became profitable again in the last three months. Um, I'm sorry, last three quarters. Sure. Um, uh, ticket sales to live events were up eight or nine percent year over year. I mean, this is I this is not a dying company by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and a, a, a big question is so you know originally a lot of the a lot of their bread and butter came from these big paper pay per view events. But you know they rolled out WWE Network, which you know gives what one you, of those cost, by the way. Uh, I mean, it was like twenty bucks, right? The pay per view yeah. events. Oh, they could be forty to fifty dollars. Oh, wow. Okay. So you know uh, they switched that model so that you know you're paying ten dollars a month now, but instead you get access to every pay per view event. You get access to I think the archival footage that they have, at least for the Japan launch, it's like four thousand hours of content, and you get. Correct me. Free access to that when you pay the ten bucks a month for the subscription. Yeah, that's part of it's that's, part of what you get. So you get literally every WWE match in history as part of this subscription. So I yeah, mean, tons tons of archived content. And um, in the beginning, you know, there was a lot of concerns about what what you know whether offering this is going to really hurt their pay per view. Uh, income and whether the company is going to be able to make this work, but you know they've managed to get to that point where okay now they're at the profitability profitability level with the WWE network that they were at previously, and just it's a matter of expanding their geographic presence into new markets, and this should be a nice growth driver for them in terms of a long term strategy. Uh, for the stock itself, it peaked in March 2014 at about thirty one dollars per share plummeted to $11 per share uh, just two months later in May. And since then, the stock has been making a slow recovery. It's up 35% year-to-date. Year to date. Um, in terms of valuation, I, though, it trades pretty rich, 35 times four yeah, earnings. Yeah, that's not cheap. I remember well that drop, 31 to 11 bucks because... Um, and basically, the reason was, at the time, they were worried about cannibalization. Yes, that was when they were talking of... about the rollout, and they're like, "Wait, wait, wait! You're giving up on pay per view and shifting to this Netflixy type model? What?" There and, was a lot of fears you know. about you know the subscriber numbers not coming in strong enough at the time, but you know since then they've been able to to reverse that, and the stocks make a nice recovery. That valuation is a little high based on you know the growth that uh, that that they've projected, but overall, I think this is a, an interesting company to look at that has that was able to so f- you know so far I'd say pretty successfully execute on. A major, major change uh, to to their to their strategy. Uh, and just to wow our listeners a little bit further, uh, I did pull up some social media type stats from their latest quarterly filing. Um, this is really cool. WWE has the most viewed channel on YouTube in August, ranking above other popular channels such as BuzzFeed and Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. Um, WWE exceeded 660 million social media engagements to date in 2015 and continued to rank sixth on Sprinkler's social uh, social business index ahead of the NBA, NFL, and other media properties. Wow. So there you go. It's you know, I loved it as a kid, um, and I still you know remember a lot of the big names from back then. And uh, oh, that was the other thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a podcast. There you go. I, <laughs> now I know what I'm going to be listening to on the train home today. Thank you. I yeah. So anyway, cool. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Do you uh, you like the stock? What do you think before we head out? Uh, I think. 
I'm a bit torn. Uh, the valuation's a little high for me based on you know based on their the growth profile. Mm-hmm. But overall, this is just a really interesting company that I still like to watch and. Uh, if people are, if some of our listeners feel you know bullish enough on in terms of their their uh, especially their rollout into these new markets, it's not necessarily uh, something bad to consider for their portfolio. Cool. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Vince. Have a good thanks, one. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool dot com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool dot com. As always, people in this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Vincent Chen, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!